So this weekend we are turning to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. We're in a series called All is Grace. So I had a conversation uh, this last week that got a little bit tense. You ever had a tense conversation? It was one of those times in which I really had to weigh and measure each word because the wrong word could lead to huge misunderstandings and my words could have very easily become weaponized with the intent of mass destruction. When I find myself in those kind of situations, I know I can go one of two directions. I can either react or I can respond. I've been wrestling with that idea, reacting versus responding for for years. The Gospels, particularly Jesus and the way he conducts his life, is an incredible example of what it means to respond to life rather than react. Because the truth is, every day, the moment I wake up, I face events, situations, opportunities, scenarios, some which are exciting and fun, others which are challenging, some are boring, and some are just plain old hard. How we interact with the world around us, with the relationships that we have, make a huge difference in the outcomes of those relationships, our own personal growth, and our witness for Christ. So let me just quickly define the two terms, reacting versus responding. A reaction is instant. It doesn't typically consider the big picture, the long-term ramifications. A reaction is often driven by pure emotion and results in something you'll probably regret later. You ever done something and then regretted it? Every single one of us. A response moves a bit more slowly. It's thoughtful, it's rooted in our values, takes into consideration uh, the effect our actions have on others and the long-term effects that result from it. This weekend, our story from John chapter 18 has two main characters, Jesus and Peter. Jesus is an incredible responder to life, while Peter is often a reactor. Now, my goal this weekend is not simply to say, be a responder, not be, don't be a reactor. This is, my goal isn't like some self-help therapy. Like, my, my real hope is that we'll become Christ-like. That we will grow in maturity, becoming more like Christ, and having an eternal relationship with him. So I want to just take to take a quick left turn from the Gospels to the Epistles. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing about the role of ministers in the church. And this is what he writes in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is seated, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So one of my hopes, one of my goals, one of my responsibilities is to help us all become mature in Christ. Because it's very easy to get kind of tossed back and forth by the waves and views and uh, opinions of people. And so sometimes in order to do that, I just kind of got to speak the truth in love. And so this weekend, my hope is that I, I speak the truth in love because we, because you don't need me to tell you, we are living in a season of, of history where there is a whole lot of people just reacting to everything. And I kind of thought we were coming out of it, but clearly we're not. And so what does it mean to face the world as a follower of Christ, as a responder rather than a reactor? If the goal is to become like Christ, then I think we do that by observing the way Christ interacted with the world around him. Because really, there's nothing new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new in the world. There's always stuff happening. And how we interact with it really, really matters. Now, I will say that I come at this today as a recovering reactor. Okay? Because I... I can react to stuff. And those of you that know me well say amen. That is true. I could tell you story after story after story of things I'm not completely proud of. I'll tell you one just because it happened a long time ago. This will kind of set the stage for where I'm hoping to move out of. When I was in college, I was an RA. I was a resident assistant, which means basically I was in charge of a floor at our dorm. And there was a guy on our floor that, um, well, he did something that really irritated me. He would walk up behind me when I wasn't paying attention, and he'd just walk by and smack me on the butt. And I, I don't, like, I don't like that. Like if, I, like, if I don't really know you, I don't really want you to touch me at all, which is a personal problem, I admit. But I'm like, so finally I said, listen, man, I said, don't do that. I don't like it. Don't do it. A couple days later, he does it again. I said, bro, I said, we talked, I don't like that, don't do it. Okay, 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 Mike, I'm just joking around. A few days later, I can still see it, it's clear, we're walking down the hall of our dorm, and he comes up behind me and smacks me again, and I didn't even think, I just turned around and swung. I landed a punch right in his throat, knocked him down, and I felt bad, went and turned myself in because I was the RA. I was supposed to be like this, the mature one. It's probably a better way to deal with that. So before you start swinging, whether it's physically or metaphorically, let's look to Jesus for just a moment. Our story today begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to imagine you're there with Jesus. You can smell the olive trees, feel the breeze of the cool of the evening. There's a little bit of tension in the air. Jesus has just finished praying with his disciples. Pastor John spoke about that last weekend. And when he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, John chapter 18, and crossed to the Kidron Valley. 
On the other side, there was a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Reactions often produce chaos. When I react, rather than respond, someone gets punched in the throat, or I say something snarky to my wife or my husband that I can't take back, when I respond, I have the tendency to offend my co-workers, when I respond, react rather than respond, I often bend the truth to make me look better, or I share information that's not actually factual to make me look smarter. There's an image that I get in my mind when I think of reactors. So I want to share that image with you because I also want you to have this image in your head when you observe a reaction or you're about to react yourself. So let's allow this bottle of Diet Coca-Cola to represent your life or my life. Life is filled with situations, and when the situations in life come and you react, what we look like is, well, and what we're left with is a big mess to clean up. Usually someone else has to clean it up. Someone else is going to clean this up because I'm not. When I'm constantly reacting, I'm constantly leaving messes that other people have to clean up. The arrest of Jesus produced in Peter a reaction of contradictory and chaotic behaviors that someone else had to clean up. I mean, if we go back into the garden, Jesus is there, Judas comes to betray Jesus, and he's with a detachment of soldiers. Now, if you look at the way the Roman military was organized, the phrase a detachment of soldiers could have meant upwards of 200 armed men. So 200 armed men have come with 
Judas, betraying Jesus, and Peter draws a sword and cuts off the ear of the only unarmed guy. That's a reaction. Like, what are you going to do, Peter, with one sword against 200 soldiers? That's just chaos. So now you've got this guy holding his ear in his hand. He's bleeding. There's all this chaos. In a different gospel, Jesus has to clean it up. We're told that Jesus heals the guy's, the guy's ear. And then, then just a few hours later, Peter does the exact opposite of what he did in the garden. John chapter 18, now we're at verse 15. Jesus has been arrested. So Simon Peter and the other disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Skipping down now to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you in the garden? You were the guy with the sword, right? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Now back a few pages in the Gospel of John chapter 13, Jesus had foretold this whole scenario. In John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking about his death and his resurrection. He's going to leave. And in verse 37, Peter asks him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, for those of you that like to dive into the culture of the scripture, when Jesus said the rooster crows, he probably wasn't referring to a rooster. Poultry was not allowed to be raised in Jerusalem because Poultry had the potential to make the offerings in the city ceremonially unclean. However, the Roman guard rotated every three hours. In order to signal the rotating of the guard, a trumpet was sounded. Every three hours, a trumpet sounded, which means the soldiers rotated the guard. The Latin word for the trumpet call is translated as the crowing rooster. So it is very possible that what Jesus was actually saying, before the changing of the evening guard, you will deny me three times. That was free. So back to the story. Peter is constantly reacting. He says, Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Except when it really matters. Then I'm going to get scared. I'm going to react and deny that I even know you at all. 
Within hours, Peter moves from being the heroic defender to the cowardly denier because reactors are inconsistent, often producing chaos. Now, listen, I may not be cutting off people's ears and denying Jesus, but what about when I fire off that email before really thinking it through? What about that comment that I left that was filled with emotion and venom rather than wisdom? Or that voicemail you left that you can't take back? Or what you said to your wife and now you regret it, but it's too late? Or that person you went off on the store because things didn't go your way? Or the way you treated your kid or your grandkid before you heard the whole story? Or that fight you had with a family member over that really stupid thing? And now Christmas and Thanksgiving are really, really awkward. Before you know it, You've got a mess. And I become a reflection of the very thing that I don't want to be. Because listen, reactions are produced by fear, insecurity, and lack of self-control. All which are demonstrated by Peter. But if we turn to Jesus, Jesus is a responder to life. See, in this story, Jesus demonstrates something really, really important. Clarity. What is really important must be really, really clear. Clarity produces God-centered responses. Because listen, if the goal is Christ-likeness, then I look to Christ as my example. This story reveals that Jesus had incredible clarity in four key areas of his life that drove everything he did. The first was he had incredible clarity on his values. Back to the story, John chapter 10, John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. So Peter has a sword, draws it, strikes the high priest servant, cuts off his ear, and Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In other words, Peter, put away your sword. Your current reaction is not in alignment with my values. This story reveals the heart of Peter and what he expected. Because Peter was still living under the notion that Jesus the Messiah was coming to overthrow the Roman government with power and with violence. Those were Peter's values. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. My values are the values of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God doesn't have power and violence at the center. At the center of these values are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, also known as the fruit of the Spirit. My values are one of grace and mercy and kindness and justice. Jesus was very, very clear on his values. They were the values of the kingdom of God. And because he had clarity on his values, he could respond in alignment with the kingdom. So I wonder... Do you really know what your values are? I spent years wrestling with that question. And from that question, I I have two values. They don't need to be yours, but my my two values drive everything that I do. I have two main values, but a bunch of sub-values. But the two values that I live my life by are grace and generosity. Everything that I do, at least I try to do, flows from those, those two things. Those two places. Because when you really understand what you value, you will have clarity on what it means 
to be a responder rather than a reactor. Secondly, Jesus had a lot of clarity on what it meant to live with integrity. Verse 19. So meanwhile, the high priest is questioning Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken, op- I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. So Jesus is in a trial. And this trial is most likely illegal. First of all, because it takes place at night. And secondly, they were not supposed to question the defendant, who was Jesus. Trials had to rest on the weight of witnesses. And so this whole thing, from beginning to end, is scandalous, fraudulent, and based on lies. And yet, in the midst of all of this, Jesus has incredible clarity, and his integrity reflects it. Because Jesus doesn't go off in like some, some reactive tangent on defense of himself. Rather, verse 22, Jesus says all these things, and then one of the officials slaps him in the face and says, is this the way you answer the high priest? Now, if you want to get, like, if you get slapped in the face, that is fertile ground for reaction, isn't it? Because when you get slapped in the face, not only is it insulting, but it kind of hurts, and you kind of want to react, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus instead says, if I've done something wrong, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, then why did you strike me? Now, Jesus doesn't back down. But he says, listen, testify to what's wrong. In other words, by making that statement, Jesus is saying, why don't you guys give me a fair trial? Now, his opponents were fearful, insecure, and jealous. They weren't worried about integrity. They were worried about winning. And yet, even in that tense place, Jesus measures every word that he says. He responds rather than reacts by key, and in doing so keeps his integrity in See, when I'm reacting, it's very easy to compromise my integrity because I'm swayed by every impulse that I have. So maybe at work, you, you compromise for gain. Even though it's a bit shady, you're more interested in net gain than integrity. Or maybe you do a little harmless flirting. You're both married, but it's no big deal, right? Or you bend the truth to fit your narrative. Or you spread a rumor and spice it up to make it more sensational. And are we really clear what it means to live with integrity? Because if we're not, it's very easy to compromise the very thing we want to become. Thirdly, Jesus had incredible clarity on his identity. Verse 36. So Jesus is speaking and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus knew exactly who he was. At his baptism, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus hears a voice from heaven that says, you are my son whom I loved and whom I'm well pleased. Jesus knew that he was the beloved son of God. Now, reactors often find themselves in an identity crisis. 
between the years of 2007, 2008, I was in a bit of an identity crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. It was a very, very difficult time. I was having a hard time in my vocation, hard time in all my relationships. And I found myself reacting over and over and over because I did not have a clear sense of who I was. I was trying to follow Christ. But it wasn't until I understood that my foundational identity, my core identity is in Christ. I failed to see the truth of who I really am. And yet once we understand that our identity is that we are the beloved of God, once we accept his unconditional love, we are free to live in this world without being owned by it. Jesus gives us a full spiritual life. And as a result, we don't need to be dependent on the fragile, shifting structures of the world. But rather, we find our identity in our source, which is the eternal love of the Father. So if you're constantly reacting to life, maybe you don't really know who who you are. Clear on your identity. But I've got great news. The scriptures say your identity is in him. You are the beloved of God. Finally, number three, number four, Jesus had incredible clarity on his mission. Verse 37, Pilate says to Jesus, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. In the midst of all that Jesus experienced, he was betrayed, he was denied, he was given an unfair trial, he was slapped in the face, he never reacted to any of it because he was incredibly clear on his mission and his calling. That mission was rooted in the Father. You and I, we have a very clear mission. Jesus gave it to us years ago. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked by an expert in the law, what is the greatest commandment? Most of you know the rest. Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If my identity is in Christ, if I am growing in Christ-likeness, and the one that I'm trying to be like says, here's the two most important things. If you could only remember two things, remember these two things. Love God the Father with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's our calling. Now, you may be in construction or an admin. You may own a business. You may be in hospitality, the medical field, admin administration. You may be a teacher. You may be a parent, a grandparent, retired. All of those things are good. They're your vocation in the world. But your calling is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I wake up in the morning and my first response to the day is, I'm going to love God with all my heart, 
with all my soul, with all my mind. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Then I'm going to be a better teacher. I'm going to be a better medical worker. I'm going to be a better business owner because my primary mission is rooted in the words of Jesus. See, the gospel calls us to respond with love of God and love of neighbor at the center. When I do that, I can slowly move from being a reactor to a responder, recognizing that this all has eternal significance. Because I'm bearing witness with my life to the one who demonstrated power through weakness, strength through vulnerability, and justice through mercy. No, Jesus never backed down. But he would never allow the circumstances of his life and the poor actions of others to compromise his values, his integrity, his identity, or his mission. And for us, may we not allow anyone or anything to compromise our value, our integrity, our identity, or our mission because what's really important is that we mature in Christ-likeness. This weekend, as you wrap up, I want us to think about some next steps walking away from this place. Uh, One of the values we have as a church is taking next steps with God. And so let me ask a question. Maybe it's something to think about this week. Am I more a reactor or am I more a responder? Now, of course, we both can be both and do both. But do I kind of naturally gravitate more towards reacting or more towards thoughtful response? I also want to challenge you this week to reread John chapter 18. And as you read John chapter 18, maybe as you read this scripture, it's time to get some clarity on our values. Maybe we need to examine the integrity of our life, our identity, or our mission. Why don't you take a few moments right now? We've got a couple minutes. Let's just have a moment of quiet. And let's offer these two These two things to the Lord. Am I a responder or am I a reactor? And do I need some clarity in these key areas of my life? So for just a moment, let's offer these to the Lord. Lord, my desire is that we would become a church that starts to look a whole lot like you. Would you mature us in Christ-likeness? May we as people be thoughtful responders to life, weighing our words, weighing our actions, even when something is good, maybe not just react to it, but maybe thoughtfully respond to it. Help us to live the values of the kingdom of God. Help us to be people of integrity. 
Remind us that our identity is we are the beloved of God and that our mission is to to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. Make us like you, O God. Amen.